Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By L.L. Bean. Inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com. By Celestron. Offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com. By Birds and Beans Shade-Grown Bird-Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And by Chimani. Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you. Chimani.com. Good morning. Welcome to our show number 614. Here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note. Don't worry. Be happy. Well, on last week's show, we quoted a study from the UK about the negative effect on birds as a result of climate change and habitat destruction. But this week we're reporting on a UK study about something quite different. It says simply that watching birds around your home, even in the city, may help overcome sadness and worry. University of Exeter Research Fellow Dr. Daniel Cox, who led the effort, said this study starts to explain the role that some key components of nature play for our mental well-being. And he goes on to say that birds around the home and nature in general show great promise in preventative health care, making cities healthier, happier places to live. Now, many would say that we already knew this, intuitively maybe, but it provides a little professional reinforcement for the idea that we should get out there because the birds are ready to make us feel good. Well, thanks to Scott Simon and the crew at National Public Radio's Weekend Edition Saturday for welcoming yours truly to their program again in the March 3rd edition. Our topic was, should we keep the bald eagle, a bird that failed to earn the respect of Ben Franklin and John James Audubon, as our national symbol? Or should we replace it with a faster, more powerful bird, one that's a real hunter rather than a scavenger? No, I don't mean the wild turkey. The bird would be the golden eagle. Will it replace the bald eagle? Not likely, especially since Ben Franklin and Thomas Jefferson aren't around anymore. Or uh, not Thomas Jefferson, but John James Audubon uh, to back up uh, the idea. But we thought it was worth speculating about, and we did. You'll find a link to the interview through our Talking Birds Twitter feed or our Facebook page. Or find Weekend Edition Saturday at npr.org. Here's a terrific note we received from Elaine Filetra, whose amazing photo of an American black duck up there at Lonesome Lake in New Hampshire was chosen as first prize winner in our recent Talking Birds photo contest. She says, I'm honored to have won first prize. That duck was special. We met it on the opposite side of the lake, and it was very friendly to us. As we hiked around the lake to where I took its picture, we saw it cutting across the lake to meet us, all the while watching us, timing it perfectly. After I took its picture, it startled me by jumping on my lap. Perhaps it was probably more interested in my lunch than anything else, but the whole series of events, unprovoked on my part, was fun. Lonesome Lake is a high-altitude lake, a little under 3,000 feet in Franconia Notch, New Hampshire. She says, I will certainly hike there this year to see if it came back. Thank you, Elaine, for that great story and fabulous photo. I think you can still find that on our Facebook page, and we'll be printing it, too, in our upcoming latest edition of The Trumpeter, our Talking Birds 
newsletter. We'd like to express great thanks to our newest Talking Bird Show ambassadors who have kindly volunteered to hand out some of our little show info cards to their friends and neighbors. They include Angel in Las Vegas, Nevada, our first ambassador from the Silver State. Thank you, Angel. Lori in Underhill, Vermont, who happened to be a 2015 Mystery Bird Contest winner. Thank you, Lori. Kim in Bourne, Massachusetts, a nearby and beautiful Cape Cod. Thank you, Kim. Jill and Scott in St. Albert, Alberta, Canada, our first Alberta ambassadors. So thank you, Jill and Scott and Rob in London, England has become our first ambassador from overseas. And thank you, Rob. A quick visit to our Facebook page will provide the latest list of ambassador states. Talking Birds listeners, kindly check to see if your state is listed there and consider representing it. If it isn't, of course, states are big places, so whether your state is listed there or not, we hope you'll join our program and send some cards to your friends and associates to uh, spread the word about birds and conservation. Indeed, if you're anywhere on planet Earth, we'd love to have you as a Talking Birds ambassador. Easy to do. Just click on the contact button at TalkingBirds.com and choose the Become an Ambassador option. That's the Become an Ambassador option via the contact button at TalkingBirds.com. No G in talking. What's the newest thing here at Talking Birds? Well, it's our podcast extra created by our own Debbie Bleacher. Podcast extra number one is Debbie's interview with our friend Tice Suplee from Audubon, Arizona. And it's now available. Podcast subscribers receive our podcast extra automatically. And you can find it under the archive heading on our website, along with our full shows. Just click the listen button there. It's also available on iTunes and Google Play. It's podcast extra number one. Extra, extra, read all about it. Some of the stories and videos we have for you on our Facebook page this week. A dramatic and disturbing headline from Scientific American. It says climate change has already harmed almost half of all mammals. We'll link you to the article. The U.S. Geological Survey hails an early spring and names climate change as the culprit here, too. Meanwhile, on a brighter note, a question, why do male birds mob predators? New research indicates that they do it to impress the ladies. Some of the stories there on our Facebook page uh, right about now. Still to come on our show today, we'll talk with birdsong expert Nathan Peeplow about his new book, The Peterson Field Guide to Bird Sounds of Eastern North America. We'll also catch up with our man Mike O'Connor from Cape Cod's Bird Watchers General Store for Nest Box Advice Part 2 in our Let's Ask Live or Let's Ask Mike Live segment. And up next, a tail-bobbing, loud-singing, stream-loving songbird is today's featured feathered friend. Talking Birds is made possible in part by Celestron, a leading optics company offering binoculars and spotting scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron is dedicated to education and bird conservation and proudly supports many nonprofit organizations that share the same commitment. Celestron says we care about birds and nature in our backyard as well as yours. Enhance your view with Celestron. Visit Celestron.com and discover more. Introducing the New York Warbler. The what? I said, introducing the New York Warbler. Never heard of it. Well, let's put it this way. 
New York warbler is a name that was once applied to today's featured feathered friend. Apparently because for a small bird, it's pretty loud, as parts of New York are sometimes said to be. No offense. And the species part of its scientific name, Nova Boracensis, means of New York. It's also of most of the U.S. during migration, nesting up in Canada and wintering in Central and South America. It's the northern water thrush, a slender songbird with an olive-brown back, pale yellow to buff underparts with dark stripes, and a pretty distinctive buff-colored eye stripe. And it sounds like this. This bird, like its close and very similar relative, the Louisiana water thrush, constantly bobs its tail, which might get it into trouble on the streets of Manhattan. Fortunately, our bird is found instead near, and sometimes in, slow-moving streams, ponds, and bogs in breeding season, and in a variety of wooded habitats during winter and migration. It feeds on insects and snails, and sometimes small fish. The northern water thrush, or the New York warbler. Parkesia nova boracensis, today's talking birds, featured feathered friend. Thanks again for being with us here on our show number 614. Talking Birds is sponsored in part by Chimani, providing free outdoor mobile app travel guides to plan and navigate your journey to more than 400 national parks, monuments, and historic sites. From Acadia to Zion, go to Chimani.com. That's C-H-I-M-A-N-I.com to download your free app today. Nathan Peeplow is author of the new Peterson Field Guide to Bird Sounds of Eastern North America, described as the most complete guide to the bird songs of Eastern North America ever published, and one that makes it vastly easier to identify bird songs than ever before. Nathan joins us on the phone to tell us about it. They're from Boulder, Colorado. Good morning, Nathan. Good morning, Ray. It's great to have you uh, with us. How are things in Boulder? How cold is it out there, or is it spring? Uh, it's spring out here. It's about 40 degrees Whoa. and uh, not a cloud in the sky. Wow. Okay. Well, we'll get warmed up here a little bit, but we got some, a little cold snap late winter. Well, Eastern North America, Nathan, uh, in the description here, that in this case stretches quite a bit farther than the Mississippi, right? Covering a big chunk of Texas and most of Oklahoma and up through parts of the Dakotas in your book. It covers uh, the eastern North America, and it covers the Great Plains as well. Okay. Now, a big part of your book, of course, is your spectrograms. For po folks who are, are not familiar with what, what they are, what are they? A spectrogram is a picture of a sound. It's a computer-generated graph of the sound. It's basically the same principle as reading music. Uh, it, it reads from left to right, and the high notes are at the top, and the low notes are at the bottom. Mm-hmm. So you can just look at that, you kind of practice a little bit and get an idea of what it really sounds like. Yeah, once you've learned how to, how to correlate those, those shapes on the spectrogram into sounds, uh, then you can actually 
look at a spectrogram and you can understand what it's going to sound like. I think Chandler Robbins, uh, in a Golden Field Guide, uh, may have been the first to use spectrograms in a field guide. That was a few decades ago. Uh, I think that was a little controversial at the time, whether people uh, liked that or not. What's different about your use of them in uh, this new guide? Uh, the guide you're talking about is the Golden Guide to Birds, right. and that was the one that I grew up on. That was my yeah. first guide to birds. Me too, and I dropped it um, in a couple of rivers. Uh, yeah. I had several copies. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and there were these little spectrograms uh, for a lot of the birds in there. Uh, but, you know, in the 60s when he was making those, uh, the technology was not as good. And so you couldn't see all the details that we can see nowadays mm-hmm. when, with our computer-generated spectrograms. They were more smudgy, black and white, high contrast. And they were very small uh, in the book and hard to read. So in my book, they take center stage, and they're bigger, and they're, you can see much more fine detail. I'm reading about uh, the number of files. Is this right, 5,400 audio files associated uh, with the book? That's correct. Wow. And so if you get the book, you just go to the website, right, to match up, petersonsounds.com. Uh, Peterson Bird Sounds. Bird, sorry. Oh, let me put that in yeah. there. Peter, that's an important distinction. PetersonBirdSounds.com. Yeah. PetersonBirdSounds.com. Okay. Peterson and you can actually listen to all those files even if you have not purchased the book. They're streaming oh. online for everybody. Okay. PetersonBirdSounds.com. Uh, Nathan, you talk in the book, too, about seven basic tone qualities of bird sounds. So I guess that, that's a pretty good way to what narrow narrow things down, right? Could you describe those? Yeah. Um, so as I was listening to all the sounds, I tried to uh, figure out what was uh, what they had in common. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I looked very carefully, I realized that there's basically seven different tone qualities to a sound. A tone quality is uh, the thing that lets you distinguish a violin from a trumpet mm-hmm. if they're both playing the same note. Mm-hmm. Right? It's that. It's that quality of the sound that, that makes it sound like it has a particular kind of voice. The color, color, um, color. Of yeah. The sound, yeah. yeah, the coloring. It's the part that people find most difficult to discuss and hmm. describe. Um, so I've been trying to create a, a standardized vocabulary for it. So you have whistled, right, and hooting and clicking? Whistled, hooting, clicking, nasal, noisy, furry, and uh, polyphonic. And polyphonic would be what? How would that? What would a bird be that's polyphonic? Uh, polyphonic sounds would be the those wonderful metallic songs of thrushes, like the veery or the wood thrush. Mm-hmm. Those birds are actually harmonizing with themselves when they're singing. Most birds actually have two voices. They have two uh, membranes in their voice box that can create two different sounds simultaneously. That amazing thing called the syrinx, right? Yeah, yeah. We, it's very different from the human larynx. Mm-hmm. Uh, all birds have this, but not all birds use both of their voices at once. The ones that do are actually speaking with two voices at the same time, and it creates a distinctive sound that we call polyphonic. Mm-hmm. Well, in addition to IDing a bird, you try to add some context to illum- illuminating the, the meanings of, of the sounds in some cases. Tell us a bit about that, if you would. When birds are making sounds, they're communicating with one another. They're actually, uh, I wouldn't go quite so far as to call it a language, but they are sending messages from, from one bird to the next. And if we can uh, figure out what, what happens when those, when those messages are sent and received, then we can start to un- 
unravel the language of the birds and actually understand what they're doing and why they're doing it, uh, not just what species we're hearing. Mm-hmm. So the book, uh, again, coming out uh, today, if folks are listening live to our show, it's the 5th of March, and I believe the book's actually going to be available in a couple of days from now. It's going to be available on Tuesday the 7th. All right. And uh, all the usual locations? All the usual locations. And for folks out west, uh, um, Nathan, how about a western edition? I am working on it as we speak. <laughs> All right. Nathan Peplow teaches writing and rhetoric at the University of Colorado. He's been a birder since childhood, has studied bird sounds since 2003, and he's the author of the new Peterson Field Guide to Bird Sounds of Eastern North America. Nathan, thanks, and good luck with the book. Thanks so much, Ray. The Amazon's rainforest is being cut down so fast that by 2030, 55% of it could be completely wiped out. The Earth's forests can't speak up when they need help, but we can. Be the voice for those who have no voice. Visit worldwildlife.org. Coming up next here on Talking Birds, it's our mystery bird contest in just one minute. If you've listened to Talking Birds over the past several weeks, you may have heard us talking about our upcoming trip to the Galapagos Islands. And guess what? The guest list is now almost full. So if you'd like to join us, and we hope you will, the time to sign up is now. We'll travel with our friends from Sunrise Birding, one of the world's finest small group touring companies. Get all the details right now at sunrisebirding.com. That's sunrisebirding.com. Here's an idea for the next time you're shopping for wild bird food. Look for the Audubon Park brand, a top choice among bird lovers for more than 40 years. All of Audubon Park's products meet the highest quality standards in the industry and have earned early compliance with the FDA's Food Safety Modernization Act. And Audubon Park products are easy to find at your supermarket, lawn and garden store, farm and feed market, and online retailers. For more information, visit audubonpark.com. Talking Birds is made possible in part by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, a world leader in the study, appreciation, and conservation of birds. Please check them out at birds.cornell.edu. It's our mystery bird contest, and you're eligible for a chance to win the beautiful Droll Yankees Window Mount Songbird Feeder. If you haven't been a winner here on Talking Birds in the last six months, this is a wonderful feeder. It attaches right to your window securely with those suction cups there and gives you a clear view of birds right out your window. Holds a couple of cups of seed or fruit or mealworms. That would be our prize. The most important part of our contest is the phone number. It's 781-837-4900. 781-837-4900. Call us as soon as you can to tell us what the bird is or take your guess. The bird sounds like this. Our mystery bird is a medium-sized songbird with a bright yellow belly, cinnamon-colored wings and tail, and pale wing bars, and a bushy crest. Its throat and breast are gray. Our mystery bird feeds by wading on a high perch and flying out to catch insects in flight, sometimes hovering to grab insects on leaves. It will also eat fruits and berries. That would be our mystery bird. What do you say it is, or what's your guess? No correct answer means a drawing will determine our winner. 781-837-4900, 781-837-4900. Meanwhile, coming up next, it's part two of Nest Box Advice from Mike O'Connor down at the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Let's ask Mike 
live in just one minute. The North American Butterfly Association is launching the Butterfly Habitat Network, a new continent-wide conservation initiative. Using decades of accumulated knowledge, NABA is scaling up efforts to protect, enhance, and create habitat specifically for butterflies. Butterflies are important pollinators of native plants and represent as caterpillars a major food resource for birds. Habitats critical to butterflies are essential to nesting waterfowl, neotropical migratory birds, upland game birds, and more. The NABA Board of Directors and staff have selected projects across North America as a starting point of the Butterfly Habitat Network. If we can save butterflies, we can save ourselves. It's more than just a slogan. It's the understanding that adequate, well-cared-for space for the wildlife of this planet will ensure survival and quality of life for human beings. Find out how you can help by visiting naba.org. We head down to Cape Cod where Mike tells us it never snows, but I think it does get cold occasionally, which seems to be the case right about now. Good morning, Mike. You know what? We got a special now. If you buy a birdhouse, it comes equipped with a fireplace. <laughs> All right. That's it not, would happen. Yeah. Last week we talked about get outside and get your birdhouses maintained because it's so mild. Take advantage of it. Yeah, boy. And you then I mentioned, right. well, you got to do it now because things change in March. And hello. Boy. You're not kidding. No wonder No wonder you're the, the bird watcher's general store person. <laughs> no, that, <laughs> that clears that up. Right yeah. Away. So uh, bird box advice. Last week we had part one, talked a little bit about what, cleaning out bird boxes and, and stuff like that and why that's important. And we need to know where to place the bird boxes and how to orient them and that kind of thing. Correct. So if you don't have a box that's up and running already, then you know, you're in the market for a new one. The first advice is always get one that's easy to clean because mm -hmm. that's an important thing. And then when you place it, my advice is always the same thing with the feeder. Put it where you can see it, where you look from the kitchen window or your living room or your bedroom because yep. part of the reason why we do this is kind of kind of fun to do. So don't put it, like, around the other side of the garage and then you're going to forget about it. And, and also put it where you can see it, but put, put it fairly low. Everybody thinks they should be really, really tall because that's what the birds like, but birds aren't as fussy as we want them to be. Hmm. So I say put it about head high. That's always my rule of thumb or rule of head. Put it head high so you can maintain it without having to get up on a ladder because if there's a ladder involved, chances are you're not going to do it as much as you'd like. Good point. So probably about five feet high is fine. Mm -hmm. um, metal post is good, but uh, wooden post is okay and a tree is the birds don't mind them on the tree. It's just that you run, you know, you're more likely to run into predators like squirrels, chipmunks, raccoons mm -hmm. when it's on a what's on a tree. But the birds don't seem to mind them like that okay. at all. Well, the uh, other question we get is direction. Yeah. You know, some people are obsessed oh, yeah. with direction. You know, they say, well, you know, the rule of thumb again is the, against the prevailing wind, but you know, the wind it's always blowing from some crazy direction, you know, west, south, south, southwest, you know, I don't even know what those mean. Those are all crazy directions. <laughs> crazy directions. Yeah. So, um, and I've got a lot of boxes, and, and I've got birds nesting in every single direction mm. of the compass. So they're, they're really, in my estimation, doesn't seem to be a, a key factor. More importantly is, put it where you can see it. Um, the birds like to be somewhat in the open, depending on what you're going for, the, the birds that we most likely to get. Uh, a blue in this area, bluebirds, tree swallows if your yard is open, of course, house wrens, uh, chickadees. Oh my God, chickadees love boxes, um, not hatches. And um, uh, coincidentally, great crested flycatchers. How about that? Mm -hmm. So you can put those out there, and um, 
put them head high, put them where you can see it on a regular basis, put a couple of them out, and don't stick them off in the middle of the woods. Stick them a little bit on the edge, if you have a garden on the edge of your garden, or if you have a property line on the edge of that, somewhat in the open, because the birds like to fly out, and if it's a bluebird, a tree swallow, they want a lot of room to gather insects. So somewhat in the open, not too high. All right, well, thanks for those tips, because uh, we don't want any applause now. We want this right here with the music. <laughs> we want Pretty them much. both. The audience always applauds when you're when you're on. We can't we can't stop them. Hey, we have to clean out the uh, bird boxes in our talking birds garden out here. So thanks for reminding us about that. Oh, I'm there for you, man. Right. Anytime. All right. Talk to you next week, Mike. Okay, you got it. Okay, we're back here to the mystery bird contest, uh, hoping to draw some more applause for somebody soon. Is our mystery bird medium-sized songbird? Uh, with a bright yellow belly, cinnamon-colored wings and tail, and pale wing bars and a bushy crest. Its throat and breast are gray. Our mystery bird feeds by waiting on a high perch and flying out to catch insects in flight, sometimes hovering to grab insects on leaves. It'll also eat fruits and berries, and that would be our, our mystery bird. Our prize is that beautiful Droll Yankees window mount song feeder. Gives you a clearer view of the bird's Right at your window, because as Mike said, you want to see the birds if you're going to feed them and provide houses and stuff like that. 781-837-4900 is the number. Brian is in Peabody, Massachusetts. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Ray. How are you? Doing well, thank you. A little chilly here and there, no doubt. Yeah, absolutely. All right, but we'll be warming up soon. Uh, Brian, what do you say in the mystery bird? Uh, I'm going to take a guess. It's a yellow-bellied sapsucker. Yellow belly has the yellow belly. You hear that clue there? It is not. However, a yellow-bellied sapsucker, according to my notes here. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. Thanks, Ray. All right, try us again. All uh, right, thanks. Seven eight one eight three seven four nine hundred. Donald is in Abington, Massachusetts. Good morning, Donald. Good morning, Ray. How are you doing, Don? I'm doing good. Thank All you. Right. Uh, Abington, not far from our Talking Birds. Uh, studio here in Marshfield, Massachusetts. What yeah. do you think, Donald, on our mystery bird? Uh, Ray, I think it's a yellow-bellied flycatcher. Yellow-bellied flycatcher. Another top-quality guess there, Don, but guess what? Not it. <laughs> uh, that's our old buzzer there. Not a, not a yellow-bellied flycatcher, but a top-quality guess. Thank you, Don. T try us Thank again. You. All right, Donald in Abington. So a couple of yellow-bellied guesses there, flycatcher and um, sapsucker. We have Ted. He's in Lynn, Massachusetts. Good morning, Ted. Morning, Ray. Good morning. How's it going in Lynn? Uh, doing good. Kind of chilly. A little chilly around here in Massachusetts today. What do you think, uh, Ted? Mystery bird? I think it's the great crested flycatcher. I think the audience agrees with you. I can hear them now. Great crested flycatcher. Exactly right. You know something really uh, unusual about the great crested Flycatcher, Ted, by the way? Uh, no. Our research indicates, well, for one thing, it's a, it is a, a, a bird that nests in um, tree cavities, but the, but, the, but the interesting thing, the kind of weird thing, it tends to in, uh, include in the lining of its nest a snake skin. Whoa. Yeah. The sad thing these days is that is often uh, substituted with a plastic wrapper uh, instead. But uh, that tells you things about our natural world, but it's kind of an interesting uh, thing. I don't know if anybody has figured out why they do it. In my uh, scant reading about it, I haven't uncovered anything. Maybe you'd like to research that for us, Ted. I can take a peek. 
<laughs> All right. <laughs> Ted, stay on the line. We'll get your address, and uh, we will send you that uh, beautiful uh, Droll Yankees feeder. Okay, Ray, thank you. Thanks so much for the call. Um, Tim has sent... Oh, he's sending a sign here, two minutes to go. We, uh, we're not the greatest clock managers around here, to say the least. Uh, quickly, a note from uh, Barbara down in Perryville, Rhode Island. She says she listens every week, and she sent us this beautiful little book that belonged to her grandmother, Amy Stock, an avid bird watcher in Rhode Island. She said, we'd like someone to have it. This is a book printed in 1904. Classic old bird book. Uh, why, why am I mentioning this? Why, anybody wants to get this book, send us a note. If you really would love to get this classic bird book from 1904, uh, we'll send it to the first person who contacts us, Ray at TalkingBirds.com. And meanwhile, that would be it for the time of our show. Am I right, Tim? He says, yes, executive producer Mark Duffield, associate producer Debbie Bleacher, our engineer Tim McKenney. I'm Ray Brown. See you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store. For Lean's Cape Cod, birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By L.L. Bean, inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com. By Celestron, offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com. By Birds and Beans Shade-Grown Bird-Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And by Chimani. Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you. Chimani.com.